There's been um, some words that we've been looking at for the last several weeks that I, I wanted to be very careful in keeping them separated because they make all the difference in the world. And these are the words that I think bring life to our souls and to our relationships with each other. They're the words that the fruit of the Spirit in all of its variety uh, describe. And it seems like every time I preach on something, invariably there are circumstances that come up that have something to do with how it is that the thing I'm preaching on is going to have bearing on my personal life. And this week was honestly no exception. I was uh, coming off of last weekend where I had several back-to-back days where I got to bed late and I had to get up extremely early, like around 4 and 5. And I found myself coming to work on a, on a Monday, and I wanted to get in early as well, and I was kind of groggy. And I thought, you know, I'm going to just begin this week right. Well, of course, come to church, uh, first day of the week. But the second uh, day, my work week, I thought, you know, I'm going to ride my motorcycle. So I... It's going robotic. It's going robotic. Brian informed me that the Federal Communications Commission has decided that all of the bandwidth that we use for our our microphone system, our wireless mics, uh, needs to be sold. And as a result of that, uh, the frequency that we're on is no longer going to be a public frequency. Somebody privately is going to take management of that and pretty much churches all over the country are going to find their very expensive sound equipment rendered obsolete. So great world we live in, isn't it? I, I think sometimes our country is sort of like the best of the worst and at least uh, at least we got a few things going for us, but we won't have sound going for us much longer. So if it's a little choppy, uh, we're already having issues relative to that, that, that changeover. Uh, so we apologize up front. But back to, the, back to the story that I was trying to describe. Uh, you ever wake up and you drink two cups of coffee and it just doesn't get it? It's just not quite enough. And you're like, well, three probably isn't going to make any difference. And I figured since I'm riding my motorcycle to work, some fresh air would begin to wake me up. And I was riding the back way, kind of took the long route. And as I was doing that, I'm like, man, I still feel groggy. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? Kids, don't try this at home. But I was on a back road. There wasn't much traffic, if any at all. I thought, I'm just going to crank this thing open. And it really felt good to crank it open. I'm not telling you how fast I went, but I'll just assure you that I was trying to be as safe as I possibly could. And we'll leave it at that. And as I'm just cranking it open, I'm like, oh, now I'm waking up. Now I'm really waking up. Now I can feel the adrenaline coursing through my veins, and I'm ready to start my work day. And I'm, I'm heading uh, off of the back road onto, um, onto Egypt, to the back way here from my house. And as I'm doing that, I, I, I'm like, I know I don't drive fast down this road, but there's never a police officer, and I'm just going to crank it open. And I started to crank it open, and there was literally this voice that said, Better watch it. And I've learned to heed that voice. I backed it way down, and as soon as I got over the hill, guess what? 
those who try to maintain law and order or doing what they responsibly do for those who don't always do what they responsibly should be doing. And I'll leave it at that. Well, I think that little voice in the back of our heads is God's way of just telling us from time to time, you need to get it under control. And perhaps that's the thing that God has been working on in your life as well, taking some things that are happening and begin to just align them with him and with his purposes and to bring them into order. And if you ever have read through those passages in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it says against these things there's no law. And then Paul goes on to describe Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as he's describing that, he's actually casting a vision for what it means for people who are destined to live together. What type of people skills are going to be in play? I mean, to me it's so awesome to think that I'm going to be here with you guys forever. And some of you are thinking, yeah, Leonard, a little bit of you goes a long way and forever seems like a long time. And maybe we have that feeling about other people as well. However, I can assure you that if we take our lives and we allow the Holy Spirit to begin to redefine who we are based on qualities such as love and joy and peace and patience and etc. It's God's way of saying, Yeah, they'll be able to stand you a little bit longer if these things are happening. I honestly believe that it it will be so awesome that the best of us will come out in such a way that we won't mind being around each other forever after all. It's sort of like the very unique way that God has left his imprint on each of you to make you distinctly you will find itself expressing itself around people that are uniquely made in their own way. And God looks at all that variety and he says, isn't that awesome? And when God sees us working together, doing life together with all the diversity of our personalities and our character quirks and all of those things that go to make up who we are, when God sees us working in a way that we get along and everyone is just building up each other, it just puts a broad smile on his face. And the only way that it can happen is for all of that fruit to begin to to take root in our lives and to begin to emerge out into not only how we understand ourselves but people around us and how we relate to even God. So when Paul penned those words, he knew that something profound was getting ready to be put into motion. And we look at the backdrop of the Bible, and we see that there was a lot of chaos happening in the world that Paul wrote those words in. There were a lot of people who felt like, when I look at another person, and they're not from the same nationality that I'm from, they're not from the same race, if you will, that I'm from, then I'm going to be at best suspicious, and at worst, I'm probably going to hate them. And isn't it funny how, how much things come around and go around that they recycle back to the times that we live in? 
Uh, I was just reading yesterday about the National Football League having a lot of um, dissension regarding players and their view of how uh, the national anthem perhaps impacts uh, their their own nationalities, how management is responding to that, how the president is responding to that, and all you see out of that, and I'm not taking sides on that issue, all you see out of that is labeling and then vilifying and then discounting other people who have another opinion. And I know when God sees that, it just breaks his heart. But the fact of the matter is, God has actually seen that in, of all places, a place like this, the church. Or we've sort of set ourselves up against one another, and we haven't necessarily shown love or any, any of the other fruit. And people will come in here and say, it's no different there than it is over here. But the remedy for that, that, the, that myself, and I, and I feel like everyone who's in leadership in this church understands, is that we have to surrender to that. We have to submit to that. And it is not always easy. The other day I felt very strongly uh, uh, about defending one of my kids who another student had taken his phone and, and basically bricked it. And when he had told me that at 11 o'clock at night, my first impulse was, who is this kid? Where does he live? How long will it take me to get there and go have a little chat with him? And I could just feel the anger welling up and the defensive protective posture settling in. And then there's a little voice saying, easy. It's a little more complicated than that. And you don't want to ruin something that uh, you don't need to ruin. Is there some way that these things can work together for good? And I believe there is. But I also believe that self-control is just one of those things that our humanity will constantly struggle with. I have to be honest with you, there is going to come another day when I hop on my motorcycle and I just want to crank that throttle a little bit farther around than I did before. And I know there's going to come a day when God's going to say, easy. And that's the Holy Spirit working in our lives. But a lot of us, when we grew up, we weren't really told that we can't have what we want. Or we were, t we were encouraged to get what we wanted when we wanted it. And it really works against our ability to be good people in the eyes of the Lord. And part of it is just the fact that we're not patient. We're not allowing the processes of God to go to work in our lives so that we become different people, a little bit more well-managed, a little less wild at heart. Well, I just want to show you where it starts by playing briefly a little video clip uh, on, on something called the marshmallow test. Have you ever heard of the marshmallow test, by the way, anybody? Marshmallow experiment, Stanford University, you know what I'm talking about, you know where I'm going with this. Well, I'm going to play it. And then it's going to just launch us into uh, the next uh, probably 20 minutes or so of how self-control can be integrated into our lives. So let's, let's just go ahead and take a look. What makes people able to achieve their goals? There could be many answers to this question, but at least one of those factors is undoubtedly self-control. In the late 1960s, Stanford researchers ran a series of experiments to see how children would cope with delayed gratification. 
This is when you choose to give up an instant reward for a greater future benefit. For example, avoiding that muffin now so you can look good on the beach. Or choosing not to play with your friends so you can study for an upcoming exam. So going back to our Stanford experiment, a child, let's call him Timmy, was left alone in the room with one marshmallow. They told Timmy that if the marshmallow was still there when the researcher came back, he would get another marshmallow as a bonus. Double the reward just for waiting? Who wouldn't take up that deal? But then again, that's easier said than done. As you can imagine, little Timmy struggled with his inner demons, striving to triumph against temptation. His rational brain was telling him that waiting was the correct choice. At the end of the experiment, some children were able to resist the temptation, while others couldn't stop themselves from taking a bite of that sugary treat. Some cheeky kids even tried to eat small parts of the marshmallow with hopes of not getting caught. Several years passed and the researchers revisited these children to see how they were doing. As it turns out, the children who were able to wait longer were more likely to have better academic results and their parents rated them as having higher tolerance for stress, ability to plan and reason, and exhibit self-control in frustrating situations. Many years later they went back to these same children, but now they were in their 40s. They were tested once more on their willpower and self-control. The results were in. Even after several decades, the people who showed strong self-control as children continued this trend well into their adulthood. That's probably enough to make the point that I need to, I need to draw from in this, uh, in this facet of the, the fruit of the Spirit. As we're looking at that experiment, did you catch a couple of things? One of them was, of course, the object of desire was a marshmallow. How many can relate to that? A few? Okay, maybe as a kid it would be more appealing. If it were, if it were very hot salsa, I'd be like, doesn't matter. I'll find some more somewhere else. But if uh, you took whatever it is that is your weakness and you'd put it on that plate and you said, you know, I, I, marshmallows I can resist, but that thing I can't. And you know what that thing is. But the real issue here was how he described there were two paths that were being created here. One was a kid said, you know, I know that I was promised two marshmallows down the road, but for right now, I'm not seeing two. All I'm seeing is one, and that one is going to disappear right about now. And that kid grew up uh, in the process of making choice after choice after choice, where one had a better long-term outcome, while the initial choice was, in the moment, it'll gratify you enough to be rewarding enough. And if you grew up as a teenager thinking that way, Obviously, from the study, it said that once you become an adult, you're going to have a hard time resisting the impulse to choose the better thing that takes longer to, to, to have and to, to, to enjoy and to find something that is even richer and obviously uh, will affect your life so much more uh, qualitatively than just something right now. And sometimes I wonder, can a person break that cycle. Now, according to them, you can't. But the thing about coming into a place like this that I think is so special is this is a different place. There is no place on the planet like this place. This place is premised on a bold declaration that 2,000 years ago, the very Son of God came in, portrayed to all of us what the face of God would look like, and as he lived out his life, 
He lived it in a way that honored God in every way, and he displayed the fruit of the Spirit at every turn. And when he did that, he created opponents in such a way that eventually a critical mass of them decided that they would do away with him once and for all, and they killed him on an instrument of execution called a cross. And the, the, the really profound and astounding thing was he died... Basically, it was God died on a cross. He went down into the reality of death. And when he came out of the reality of death, which was at one time perceived to be once and for all, he said, death, I've beat you at your own game. And he initiated a change in the way of life for the people that inhabit this world that it was so dramatic and so revolutionary that it was described as the good news. The good news that there is a better day in store for us if we trust that he has done something that makes all the difference. Now one of the ways that we confirm that the good news is working is that when we begin to follow this Jesus who wore the face of God, our lives begin to change. And there is a, a sense that begins to take hold of us where the power of that God becomes our power. His spirit becomes the spirit that enables us to do those things that we wouldn't normally do. Now, how many of us, when we look at the marshmallow experience or the, I'll say, salsa or I'll say very hot salsa or I will say whatever it is that you want, you know it's compelling and you know you want it. I even hear stomachs growling as I'm saying this. That's one thing. But when something bad happens to us, like I described a minute ago with one of my kids and that protective instinct causes us to react and we want to just right the wrong and get in the face of those who are doing things that are, if they're not offensive, then by all means, uh, they violate the person of other people. You feel that welling up inside, and God says, no, no. You may feel like reacting. You may feel like not delaying gratification, but there's a better way, a way that takes a little bit more time, but you got to trust me. Is so worth it. And if you were to take a magnifying glass that had a spiritual filter and you were to look at our lives and you would say, what do I see? I think this is what you would see. I think you would see a picture of a broken wall. It's a place where if you can imagine a city that has a wall around it that is a fortress against all the things that could impact it negatively, it is a way of saying that whatever I take in, I have complete control over that in my life. And whatever I, I do, I'm the one responsible for doing it. But the writer of Proverbs says, you know, like a city with broken walls is a man without self-control. Meaning that stuff can get in and stuff can get out. And you don't really have much say. You're just kind of along for the ride. Now, I don't know how much self-control each of you have in this room. I'm guessing we're all on a continuum between not much self-control at all. As soon as I see those marshmallows or that salsa, that whole court jar is gone. Or maybe you've got a lot of self-control and you're like, yeah. You know what? No brainer. I want two down the road. I can wait. I'm patient. And everything in between. But I think one of the biggest 
problems that we have right now is as you just leave this building or even just look on your phone and you see what's happening in the news, you find that there is a lack of self-control starting at the very top of the leadership of this country all the way down to us. And it seems like there is just a, uh, an increasing inability for people to manage their tongue, manage their responses, not react with each other, or find ways of maybe separating themselves from other people because it's just so underscored that we're different. And all of those things, whether you realize it or not, get in our heads, especially if our walls aren't strong. And you may be asking, how do I then, Pastor, how do I how do I make my walls stronger? And the thing that I would I would I would encourage you to do as hopefully I could just come alongside you and say, I'm not an expert at it. I just confessed a couple of sins right there up front to everybody. But I can assure you this that I do know when I do a few things, it changes everything. And the first thing that I, I think you have to do is you just got to say, did I begin this day submitting whatever this day is going to bring to me to God? You just kind of have a box there. Did I submit it to God? And it's a pretty simple thing. Most of us don't like to submit anything to anyone. I mean, how many of you like to be told what to do? Anybody like for somebody to come up to you and say, you need to do that? Anybody? There are absolutely no takers in this room. So we don't really care for other people directing us. However, our whole culture has a way of directing us, not in an authoritative, coercive way, but in a way of saying, yeah, you need to do this like everybody else. You need to take sides on your politics. You need to take sides on where you're at with the, the whole football thing. You need to take sides with where you're at as far as local issues. And everything is about taking sides and aligning with some people because the, at least the one thing you have in common is what you're against. And God looks at that and he says, there's a lot of broken walls out there. There's a lot of people not making decisions for themselves that are reflective of my purposes. There's just a lot of people reacting out there. And when God sees what's happening in that manner out there, it breaks his heart. But when he sees what's happening out there, happening in here, I can assure you he's crushed. And he's saying, I know it takes time. I know you can't just do it in one day. You've got to begin building your spiritual foundation. If you're going to survive in this crazy world, and God could probably come here and assure us today, I think, that what we're seeing now may get a whole lot worse. And if it does, are we going to be pulled into it? Are we going to be a different people with a different foundation, with a different outlook, a different perspective? And I think as I get older, I'm seeing the significance of that more and more. I know that God has given me authority over my own life to do with it what I want to do. He's, he's, he said, you, you have the ability to make decisions. I give you those abilities. I'm not going to take those abilities away from you. But 
But he also told me, unless you take that authority and you place it under the authority of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it's only a matter of time before you go off the rails. It's only a matter of time before you crank that throttle too far and something worse than a police officer is what you see on the horizon. It's only a matter of time. So, you know, every day, I have to, in this role, I find myself waking up and acknowledging that there is a Father who loves me, there is a Son who has saved me and brought me into his family, and there is a Holy Spirit that has enabled me to have the power that I need to do the work that I'm called to do. And all three of those people, as one God, if you can imagine being inside this building and this building representing the kingdom of their reign and at the top of this building is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and within the constraints of that building is a God who says this, submit to my authority and it will go well with you. So the first, so, so, so the thing that we have, to, we have to do first is we just have to say submit to a greater purpose. Submit to a greater purpose than the purpose that is being thrown at you out there. And as we submit to that and we recognize, God, you are in control. You're not trying to take away my will. You're just trying to flavor it with your fruit. So that whatever I do, I do it expressing it that way. So that every time somebody sees me and they see, well, there's love and there's joy and there's peace and there's patience. That's different. I'm not used to seeing that. Why is that person like that? Because, like many of you in this room, I know, we've found a greater purpose. We've found a larger vision. We found a vision that when Paul was writing this, he also wrote in that very same letter, about the same place, uh, there, there, are, there, is no, um, there, there is no racial divide. There are no Jews versus Greeks. There are no slaves versus free. There are, there are no men versus women. It's a new humanity in Christ. He's not saying that there weren't distinctives, but he was saying that on a higher ground, there are people who live different. There are people who look at life different. There are forever people who are going to look at life through a forever lens and by the enabling of God's spirit, they're going to bear forever fruit. But you can't do that unless you submit to that greater purpose that says, first of all, God, you're an authority over my life. And that whatever authority that I have over my life to make decisions and influence other people is channeled through you, through your purpose. But here's the second thing I want us to acknowledge. And that is, as we submit to a greater purpose... I want you to know that no matter what our culture says, we can't have it all. We can't be for this and not for that. We can't, we can't in a sense, want this and, and, and have that. There has to be, like anything in farming, it requires pruning. It requires reducing things. Anybody garden here? Nobody? Nobody gardens here. Oh, man. Hopefully the times are going to change here sometime soon. 
Um, it, it's been kind of refreshing to see uh, 10 years of the iPhone go from, yeah, I got an iPhone, not sure what to do with it, to sucking us into a digital vortex, to people having a little bit of a hangover right now from that digital vortex and saying, you know what, it's had a little bit too much control of my life. I'm going to put it aside for a while so I can get my bearings because right now I'm stressed, I'm worried, I'm, 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 my mind is, is frayed and it seems like it's having a negative effect on me. And there's a sense that people are saying, did you know that outside of the Digiverse, there's a real world waiting to be discovered? Did you know that there are there are actually cameras that when you take a physical picture with a camera, that a physical piece of, of, of photographic paper comes out with an image on it? Did you know that? It's called a Polaroid. Any, anybody ever hear of that? It, it, did you know that there are, there are, there are plastic-ish discs that play music mechanically? Did, did you guys know that? Did you know? Did you know? that there are actually apps out there that are non-digital. There's an app for gardening. You know what it is? Shovel. Break. If you want to go a little bit deeper, there's a really cool app called a rototiller. I'm telling you, try it. And if you get a mantis tiller, it is addicting. Well, there's stuff out there that people are saying, yeah, you know what? Um, I can't just be in the digital universe all the time. I got to prune some stuff out. I've got to get my life in order. And if you're a gardener, you get it. You know that weeds take up all the nutrients that would otherwise bring health and vitality to your precious, precious produce that you're trying to nurture and cultivate. Did you know that whenever you take certain flowers and you just let them grow in a feral way and you don't trim them back, that the heads on them will be small and not really robust or beautiful. There's something about taking away that adds to. And if we have too many things in our lives that control us rather than we control them, we'll wake up one day and we'll say, I thought it was my life to live, but evidently, I'm just a slave to it all. You can't have it all. You know, I like this picture of this house that somebody drew, and it looks kind of like this. Uh, pretty artful, isn't it? Okay, I'll keep working. Well, as you look at those houses, it just reminded me of the fact that when we first bought a house, and it was the first one that we ever owned, my thought and our thought was, I can't wait for the day when we can take this house and we can trade it up for something larger. But having lived in this house for 12 years, can I tell you something? I wish it were smaller because you not only have to clean it, you've got to take care of it. You've got to make sure that it mechanically works. You've got all of these different features to a house that I never realized would require a level of slavery of, uh, of, of, of its owner to the house. No way would I get a larger house. The 200 foot house sounds pretty, square foot sounds pretty good right about now. But I think there are people on the domestic front in my, in my domestic place that would probably beg to differ. But there's something about us that, has been, that we've been told for so long that if you're going to decide, go big or go home. Get the larger house. Get, get, get the supersize. Get more, more, more. And that's just a voice 
screaming into your head that if you have more, more is always better. But the fruit of the Spirit says no. Prune. You can't have it all. But here's the last aspect of that little flowchart. And that is what you have requires boundaries. Uh, have you ever heard that word boundaries before? Hopefully you know it. It's a way of saying this is my responsibility. That is your responsibility. And the clearer you are regarding what you're responsible for and what you're not responsible for, the healthier it is. If you have kids and you have chores, everybody's got boundaries of responsibilities. But if one person says, I'll do your responsibilities for you, you don't have to worry about it, guess what happens? Something weird. Pretty soon, one person feels like they need to do all the work for the other person because if they don't, the other person won't love them anymore. And the other person says, if I can get that person to do my work and I can tell them I don't love them anymore if they don't, then I can gravy train all I want. And all of these weird things happen when boundaries get blurred. And what the Bible tells us is there are boundaries. There is a God who loves us, who has created those boundaries in his beautiful creation. He's given us one of two options where we can live. One is inside his kingdom, and the other one is outside his kingdom where chaos reigns. One is where we submit to his will and we live accordingly and we are enabled by his spirit and his power. The other one is take your chances. And what God is saying to us is that I've made this beautiful creation for all these beautiful people who I call my children, but some of them don't want to be with me forever and they want to go their own way because I've given them the authority to make their own choices and so I'll just let them and they can go on. But the ones who get it, who start to get a little bit of wisdom, recognize that they don't want to be locked in that self-gratification mode the rest of their lives, reaping pretty much the bad benefits of that experience and not harvesting anything good down the road. Anybody like ice cream in here? How many of you feel really good about an hour after you eat ice cream? I'm just curious. You do? You are lucky, Macy, because honestly, I eat ice cream, I feel really good right after I eat it, and then right after, right after I eat it, I feel like crap for a long time. And I tell myself, why did I do that? Next thing you know it, there's that ice cream, and I'm like, oh man. And last night, my wife made brownies for me that had chili peppers in them chili peppers, ice cream. You with me? Anyway, it's a niche thing, I'm sure. I ate more than I should have, and I felt even worse than I could have. And the whole time I'm thinking, why did you do that? Why did my future self was telling my yesterday self, Leonard, what were you thinking don't do that again. Well, God's saying, I've given you boundaries. I've given you some order. I've given you some ways to function. I've given you a foundation for your life. And all you got to do is ask me. 
and I'll help you to build it. And that's really why we're here. I see those broken walls all the time. I see those places where it's just not working for people. And I realize God has something that will fit. And my job is to help bring that into place. To do it in a a spirit of love, not a spirit of condemnation. Spirit of joy, knowing that relationships and friendships are built in the process. A spirit of peace that says even though we're different, that doesn't change anything about the relationship because we're a family in Christ. You see how this plays out? And it's what God has in store for you and I. And as he unfolds that in our lives, here's our biggest issue. On one end of the continuum, we have no restraint. And on the other end, we have self-control. And perhaps the thing that you and I have to do today is ask ourselves, do I want to live a life of no restraint? Where I'm not making my own choices, but rather impulses from within and without are directing my life on a road to hell. Or am I saying, God... You've given me this person that I am. Help me to manage it well. Help me, as I'm loving other people, as I'm supposed to love myself, help me, help me to love myself in a good way, in a way that adds value to myself. And I can't think of a better way than to ask God to allow his fruit to begin to be nurtured in your life and expressed in every part of how you relate to the world around you, how you relate to the people around you, and maybe how you relate to yourself. And just move that bar a little bit over towards self-control. It doesn't mean you're rigid. It doesn't mean that you're anal retentive. It just means that you're making a declaration. As God enables me, I'm going to manage my life in a way that honors him and the people around me. So let's land the plane. I think God has us on this road, and it has a destiny in front of it, and it's a bright destiny. It's a picture that says no matter what you're reading in the news, no matter what fears are being conjured up in in different settings, no matter what people are saying about people who are different than us in in our country or around the world, no matter what, God is just working through all of that chaos, through people like us, his church, all over the planet to try to bring the realities of the cross and the empty tomb to bear on his beautiful creation and all of the people that are made in his image and likeness in a way that one day every wall that's broken every life that is feeling the frustration of the world that we live in and of the body that we have every relationship that we wish could be good but doesn't seem to ever be able to right itself all of those things are bound up in the gospel And the whole purpose for us is to say that through Jesus, there's another place. There's another place in the here and now for us to live. And there's another place down the road when everything that the fruit of the Spirit points to is embodied in the creation that we're going to live with him in forever. I'm just going to quote... something that was very memorable from uh, my friend Jack Austin. 
And he'd always say, hold on to your fork because the best is yet to come. I believe that. I believe that is why we're here. It is the reason why churches need to exist is the world is pretty hopeless. And maybe your life is just pressing in in such a way that that hopelessness is overwhelming you. And maybe God is saying, there's a better way. And that better way begins with Jesus. And I don't know if in this room there is anyone who when you walk out of here is going to say, I don't know Jesus. And if you don't, that's why we're here. We're here to help you know him and to know this way of life that we've just been talking about. God bless.